In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and your host. Today, we are going to hear a piece about going from physician to patient and the incredible pressure to make decisions quickly in cancer treatment that you could be living with, hopefully living with, for a very long time. Today is the story of one woman coming to a place where she felt like she could give herself permission for more research, more opinions, and the soft landing spot of community. My guest today is Tasha Carlson. Tasha is a physician who was diagnosed at age 40 with stage zero DCIS that was hormone positive. Tasha was diagnosed with cancer at her very first mammogram. She had a single mastectomy with reconstruction and eventually had a prophylactic mastectomy on the other side, followed by reconstruction. In total, she's had eight breast surgical procedures over six separate surgeries. Today, Tasha is a volunteer state leader for her local chapter of Young Survival Coalition and is an active member of another local cancer support organization, which provides peer matches for newly diagnosed breast cancer patients. When she is not working as a physician or patient advocate, she says she's obsessed with traveling to tropical locations and photographing sunsets. That is my passion as well. Hey, Tasha, welcome to The Burn. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I meant to also say that you are Zooming in with me from Minneapolis, uh, a colder region of the country than where I am right now. So I hope you're staying warm out there. And we are going to hear a story from you called Learning from Regrets. And this came from the 2023 body issue of wildfire. So Tasha, after you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, I'll let you take it away. Thank you so much for that introduction, April. Mm -hmm. Learning from regrets. Very few people are ever truly prepared for a cancer diagnosis. Like so many women, I was completely taken aback when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I would say that I reacted poorly. Understandably, but poorly. I was diagnosed at the relatively young age of 40, and I had absolutely no symptoms or anything to clue me into the fact that there might be a problem. I had two biopsies, which led to a diagnosis that I was utterly unprepared for. I never imagined that I would be in a situation where I was literally considering amputating a body part. 
one week after diagnosis, I found myself in the office of my breast surgeon as she patiently and compassionately went over my options with me. She explained that I had multicentric disease, meaning that there was cancer in multiple parts of the breast. Consequently, a lumpectomy was off the table. My only option was a mastectomy. The decision I had to make was whether the mastectomy would be unilateral or bilateral. Although I work in medicine, and despite the fact that I had done nothing for the previous six days but Google my diagnosis and what it might mean, by the way, do not do this, I still had this primal panic response going on in my head. It was a very clear voice that kept repeating, get it out, get it out, get it out right now, with a sense of incessant urgency. I imagine that this is the same voice that is heard by so many cancer patients when they are told that they have tumors growing wildly in their bodies. I also knew myself well enough that I would want reconstruction and that I was never going to be confident enough in myself or my body to live flat or half flat. Consequently, any surgical procedure was going to require coordination between a breast surgeon and a plastic surgeon. It was already a serious challenge to find operating room availability coinciding with two busy surgeon schedules in a time frame that was even close to acceptable to me. Simple arithmetic meant that operating on one breast should require about half the time of operating on two. That is how I made my decision to proceed with a unilateral mastectomy. I really thought that my decision was a very well thought out, reasoned one. Sooner is better, right? The sooner we get started, the sooner I can move on with my life, was another thought that kept repeating in my head. An additional consideration that weighed heavily in my decision was the fact that I was aware that after a bilateral mastectomy, after the breast tissue was gone, there would be no more screening mammograms. That idea made me exceedingly uncomfortable. I thought I wanted the confirmation provided by routine periodic imaging that everything was good and that I could forget about cancer for the next 6 to 12 months until it was time for my next mammogram or breast MRI. If I had a unilateral mastectomy, there would be this reassurance, which wouldn't be the case if I had a bilateral mastectomy. So, taking all of these factors into account, I was confident that I should have a unilateral mastectomy. I had the mastectomy with expander placement, and then the exchange surgery, and then later fat grafting. Three surgeries to be done with breast cancer and move on. It turns out, nothing could be further from the truth. At my exchange surgery, I also had a breast reduction on the other side for the purposes of achieving symmetry. I remember my plastic surgeon discussing this with me in clinic and using buzzwords like symmetry and balance, which I'm sure are necessary from a coding and billing standpoint in order to have insurance cover breast surgery on a non-cancerous breast after my surgery, even as soon as I took the bandages off, I was absolutely dejected. Symmetric is not even remotely what I saw when I looked in the mirror, 
However, I also knew that it is normal to be very swollen after surgery and that it really isn't fair to try to judge a final outcome so soon. So I waited and waited. Months went by and I was still disappointed. The breasts were not the same size or shape. When it became blatantly obvious that more time and more surgery were not going to fix the issue, I eventually had a revision on the non-cancer side, which only made things worse. I spoke to my plastic surgeon about my disillusionment with my chest. He gave me four options. Deep down, I already knew what he was going to say, and I knew that there was only one option that would ever be satisfactory to me. This cataclysmic split between what I thought I wanted and what I eventually came to realize I actually wanted, combined with my aching disappointment with the clearly inadequate cosmetic outcome, ultimately led to my decision to have a prophylactic mastectomy on the other side, followed by the necessary reconstruction procedures. In total, I had eight breast procedures performed in six separate surgeries. At times, I still struggle with whether this was a vain choice on my part. It was not strictly medically necessary, though I feel that from an emotional stability standpoint, I am way better off now than I would have been without going through all these extra surgeries. I am still unhappy with my body, as is the majority of the female population. We all tend to be our own harshest critics. However, my dissatisfaction with my body now does not have anything to do with my breasts, and it is definitely something I can live with. In hindsight, I wish that I had opted for a bilateral mastectomy from the beginning. I wish that I hadn't allowed panic and fear to govern my mind to the point where I made what I now view as an impulsive choice. I wish that I had taken the time to talk with other women who had faced this challenge before me and to learn from them. The collective wisdom of the breast cancer community is underappreciated and underutilized. But there are people trying to change that one voice at a time. Mm. Tasha, thank you so much for such a vulnerable story. I really appreciate that. All right, we are going to take a quick break here. We'll let Tasha catch her breath, get a little drink of water if she needs, and we'll let you guys listen to this testimonial. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. 
get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, my name is Tamara Zalayev. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer at age 33 in 2018. I had seen so many posts from wildfire all over social media, and it was a little bit after my diagnosis that I signed up for my first live pop-up event, and I had such a good time. I made the jump this year, registered for a six-week prompt workshop with April, and I do not regret it. It was the best thing to do for the beginning of the year. I look forward to it every single week. I love that I set that time aside for myself to do a little self-care and write. I blogged all through treatment and the prompts that April gives are so simple, yet stir up some of the deepest memories, not just from cancer, but also just life in general. It's such a safe space to share the good, the bad, the ugly. April, thank you so much. I encourage everyone to sign up for one of these workshops. Thank you so much for the love, Tam. So nice to hear you. All right. Welcome back, Tasha. Thank you again for a powerful story, not only written, but but read to us here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Absolutely. So I want to dive in with some questions. And, um, you know, I was jotting down various things from your story as you were talking, um, because so much rings true for me personally. So let's jump in. This is an aspect that doesn't <laughs> it doesn't overlap with me, I should clarify, because it sounded like perhaps it did. But you're a physician. You came to your breast cancer diagnosis with experience being on the other side. And one question that I have yearned to ask doctors like yourself who find themselves in this in this kind of scenario is you probably thought you knew some stuff about cancer prior to your diagnosis. <laughs> I'm curious, what um, what stands out to you as being, I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but you know, the things that you were either wrong about or you didn't know before you were the patient? There's so much I didn't know <laughs> before I was the patient. Um, I think that uh, for, even for people who work in, in medicine, um, unless they go through this personally, it's just it's impossible to be prepared for this. Um, and I do not work in oncology, but um, I do see oncology patients in the emergency department when they come through. Um, and so that was my experience. Um, I you know, would see oncology patients when they were sick and coming into the ER for whatever reason. Um, and I was not at all prepared for the reality of being diagnosed with cancer and everything that comes after that. I don't think that there's anything that prepares you for that. I think that that is the common experience of a lot of people. They say uh, when they are diagnosed with cancer, uh, nothing prepared them and they had absolutely no idea how to deal with everything that was thrown at them so quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Do you feel that, and I don't know if you've had other major um, medical events happen in your life, but do you feel that having been through this experience has influenced the way that you treat patients now, you know, coming through that, through the ER, you know, 
cancery or not? Yes, I think so. Um, especially when I do see, in particular, breast cancer patients, I certainly come to that with a little bit more personal understanding of, of what they you know, are going through or have been through. Um, and so I hope that that has made me a little bit more compassionate and maybe a better physician in that respect. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, I mean, I think things like this, it's hard not to have them affect us in a way that I think builds empathy. I would hope. I hope it builds um, empathy for others. I know perhaps initially maybe there is a um, a tendency to kind of wall off and it's like I can't take on anymore because I've already felt so much. But I just know for me that idea that you never know what someone is going through, that cliche just really kind of rings home for me. Like there are so many experiences in this crazy, you know, human world that we live in that we can't tell what someone's going through at all. And you have, I want to say chosen, I don't know if you would use that word, but you've chosen to be there and help people on some of their hardest days. And I would think that that your experience does make you a better doctor. Um, I don't know. That's just my opinion, I guess. I certainly hope so. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, let's turn to um, turn to your story, which I am so appreciative that you wrote. I have thought a lot about the fact that when we are diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, particularly with the surgery component, we are asked to make decisions in in an emergency that we will potentially be living with with you know for a really long time and. You mentioned, you know, trying to apply a math equation basically to this decision because it is a really, really hard thing to grapple with, especially when you're being told to make it quickly and you have that drumbeat, like you said, of this voice in your head saying, just get it out, just get it out. I can really resonate with that. I'm wondering now, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but, you know, you obviously learned that 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 equation, that math equation didn't quite work for you. And it ended up not necessarily being the right one, the right equation. So do you have any advice for others, you know, who are trying to figure out how to make this impossible decision, almost as like a pre-cancer person for their post-cancer self? Do have you come to any place of understanding how a person can make those decisions? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I would have for people is to try to seek out others who have been through this before them, because there is so much collective experience in the breast cancer community, and sharing that with others is super helpful. Um, and when people are initially diagnosed, maybe they don't know where to go. They don't know how to who to reach out to or or how to how to seek advice, how to seek help, because like you mentioned, things come so quickly and decisions need to be made so fast and you're in such a state of shock that, you know, trying to do this logically is sometimes absolutely impossible. Um, but the best advice I can possibly give is to take a step back, take a breath, and if you're uncertain, seek out others who have been through this uh, and talk to them and learn from them. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said about taking a breath and that it is safe to 
to slow down a little bit, you know, and do like what you said, find other people who've experienced it. And like we were just talking, those people are going to have varied things to say than your oncology team when they're talking about their perspective of your surgery. Absolutely. I, um, yeah. So, okay. I want to know if that is the, the work that you do with YSC now in your volunteer role. Is it talking about things like this or, or tell us a little bit about the volunteer work you do now? Sure. So um, I took over uh, the state leader position for my local YSC group uh, in, well, March of 2020, <laughs> uh, right before everything shut down. Um, but I've been trying very hard to try to build that group up again um, and to really reach those newly diagnosed women and to just talk with them and let them know that there is a whole community out there who can relate to their experiences, who they can rely on to ask questions, um, to seek advice, to look for support, to vent, to do whatever it is they need. And I've been trying very hard over these years to try to build that up and just provide that space for them so that people have that as a resource uh, and, you know, they are able to reach out and get some answers and hopefully feel a little bit better about their situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really important. Do you remember the first, you know, younger patient that you came across, the first kind of peer support that you encountered? Well, unfortunately, so many of them are, are younger, uh, right? And that's, um, I think, uh, why YSE exists, uh, because we have found that uh, there really needs to be a specific community uh, for younger people uh, because their concerns um, are a little bit different than some of the mm -hmm. you know typical breast cancer patients. But I interact with many people who have young children at home um, who have just started in their careers or maybe who were pregnant or breastfeeding when they were diagnosed. Uh, and it is absolutely heart-wrenching uh, to recognize these circumstances, um, but very rewarding to try to be there for them in this time of need. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yes, there's been, um, I don't know if YSC has um, done research on this in particular, but I know of research out of Canada and um, the PINK program has looked specifically at younger patients' experiences and the things that, like you said, their concerns and how they vary from someone who's diagnosed maybe postmenopausal or post-having young children um, at home. And the effects are wide-ranging, you know, from relationship concerns, career concerns, um, you know, intimacy, all of it. And it kind of all affects a person's quality of life. And so I really agree that finding people is necessary. Finding people who can actually relate to your where you're at in life. Um, and then, you know, coming back to your story, to be able to have that collective knowledge to say, you know, what what did you learn about, you know, mastectomies or not, mis you know, having mastectomies and lumpectomies and all that stuff. It's so valuable to be able to talk to other people who've actually experienced it. I know for me, one of the things that I didn't think about at all, I had a unilateral mastectomy 
um, and chose not to have um, any reconstruction on that side. I live half flat. But one of the things that never came up at all in the discussions that I was having with my um, doctor team was the benefit for me of preserving a breast for sexual function. I hadn't even thought about that at all. And so now I really like to just share that little tidbit. Like, you know, if this might be something you want to consider, um, for some people that doesn't matter at all and that's totally fine, but I am a fan of, you need all the info, you know, to make these really, really big decisions. So, yeah, I was just going to completely agree with everything that you just said. Um, I have heard uh, similar stories from other women who say, oh, my doctor never told me about this or, you know, I didn't realize I would be numb. Um, They weren't given the information that may have potentially changed their decision. Um, I was very grateful that my breast surgeon did take the time and went through everything with me and specifically said, you know, hey, one of the benefits of having unilateral is because we have the other side and that may potentially, like you said, preserve sexual function if that part of it is super important to a person. So I appreciated the fact that she brought that up uh, and, you know, posed that question or, you know, planted that little seed so that even in the midst of all of the shock and all of the decisions that needed to be made so quickly, she introduced that idea. So it was, you know, something I thought about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. It's it's kind of like a little bridge to that post-cancer self because, you know, when we're going through it, it's so hard to imagine any other life, you know, except for the one that is trying to figure out how to how to get past illness to a place of of healing and a place of, you know, hopefully post-cancer, you know, being in the body. And it's so hard to imagine, even in my case, even caring about intimacy, you know, like that was so far off of what I was thinking about. Um, so I didn't know to even ask it, but I'm so glad to hear that you you had a doctor who was thinking about quality of life issues. And that's really, that's great to hear. Absolutely. I really connected with my breast surgeon. I, I still see her. I love her. <laughs> And I still see her yearly for breast exams. Um, And I really appreciate that uh, for lots of reasons. I mean, she's done a, you know, two unilateral mastectomies on me. So she's not ever going to operate on me again. She's a surgeon. That's what she does is operate. But she will still see me to perform breast exams annually. And I am super grateful because she knows how to examine a reconstructed breast. She knows how to feel, how to look for cancer in a breast that has an implant. And I have found that so many doctors, providers have no clue how to do that. And so I am super grateful that she still sees me yearly so that she can do as much as she can to make sure that there's nothing of concern going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, that peace of mind is huge. And and like you said, to have someone who actually knows your specifics, that really, really matters. I love that. I will say on the flip side, there isn't, I'm always disconcerted when I go for my mammograms and they always ask me why they're not scanning the left side. And I'm like, yeah, I have no breasts there. <laughs> and I've been doing this with you for 
11 years now, but yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little chilling sometimes. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, Tasha, I want to turn back to, to your story and talk a little bit about the vulnerability required to write it. So my first question for you is why was it important to you to get this story out? I think it was so important to me because this was something that I struggled with and that took me by surprise. Um, like I sort of alluded to in the in the piece, uh, I was confident in my decision. I thought this is what I wanted, and I thought that it was really well thought out. And I was surprised when I realized that was not what I wanted. And then I had to come to terms with that, and I had to get to a point where I could fix the part that I was unhappy with. And I realized that would require more surgeries, uh, which nobody wants to have more surgeries. And it took time. It took two and a half years for me to get to the point where, okay, I am at a place in my head where I can go through all of this again if it means that on the other side of this, I will be happier uh, and it turns out I that was exactly what happened. So it took longer for me to reach that end point, but I am very happy that that is what ultimately became uh, of this situation, uh, even if it did take longer than anticipated and required double the surgeries. Yes. Well, and I love what you just said too about this, you know, thing that you thought you wanted being different from what you know, in reality was happening and coming to a place where it felt safe to speak up for that and to ask, you know, and pursue changes. And like you said, that would require more surgeries um, going against what you, you know, first were using in your equation to figure out how to do this. But I love that it, your story is the story of kind of that transformation of learning to, to speak up and learning to kind of slowly find what it is that you want. I think a lot of people don't realize that that they can make changes and that it is okay to to do this. We want to get through the whole experience as fast as possible with that idea that there is the ability to go back to the way things were, to go back to normal as they say. And unfortunately, you and I and a whole bunch of other people now know that it's you're not going to go back to the person that you were, unfortunately. But your story makes me feel like, even though you've been through a lot, would you say that you are maybe changed for the better emotionally, you know, and how the strength that you now have for this kind of advocacy for yourself? Yes, I definitely would agree with that. Um, because, uh, like you said, I, I now came to the other side realizing that it's okay to say and accept I was wrong and I need to do something different. And then as a result of all of that, uh, hopefully use that experience going forward to help other people who are now in my situation. Uh, I was super fortunate with my breast surgeon because when I went back to her and I explained that I really was considering having a prophylactic mastectomy on the other side, she sat down and looked at me and said, you know, there are surgeons who would tell you that that is not necessary, but I am not one of them. 
And I really wow. appreciated that uh, because I don't know what I would have done if she had said no. Um, because I think that it just would have probably sent me into a tailspin if she had said that w- would have not given me permission to say that I was wrong and then go and fix it and try to move forward. So again, I give a ton of credit to her for supporting me in that. Absolutely. That gave me goosebumps when you shared that. That was very powerful. And I like to think that you ultimately still would have found your way to this path, but having someone along the way who you respect giving you that permission, um, that's really big. I'm so glad that she was there for you in that moment. So am I. (laughs) Yeah. So I um, had the privilege of working with you a little bit on this piece. And one of the things that I remember from from us working on it is that you and many of the people who I work with in their writing, that bit of vulnerability required to write a memoir piece like this maybe doesn't come natural. I'm going to put that in the the category of because you're probably very science minded and so as we saw in your story you know you have an approach to to things and you apply facts to them and so when you tell your story you probably have an inkling to lean to the facts to tell that story and i was here asking you but how did it make you feel and what, it, what were you thinking about behind the curtain so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what it took of you emotionally to be able to share this story with us? Yeah. Um, well, like you pointed out, it is uh, something that requires just a ton of vulnerability. Um, and I had to get to the point where I was comfortable putting that out there and sharing it with the breast cancer community. Um, and this piece in particular, I really appreciate the uh, ability to share it in this format. I do some blog writing for some other um, oncology publications, but that's more general oncology um, toward a general audience. And I don't think I would have written something like this for a general audience. I really felt like this was something that was much more keyed toward a breast cancer audience because they can so closely relate to a lot of this experience. I also remember that (laughs) the piece I initially submitted to you bore absolutely zero resemblance to this. In fact, I think I just completely started over. I didn't revise it. I threw it away and started with a blank piece of paper. (laughs) And I give you a ton of credit for recognizing that and asking the probing questions and kind of pulling this out of me because what I ultimately uh, put in the body issue was nothing at all uh, what I started with. (laughs) So thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. What I do remember about your initial submission was um, you you have a knack for humor. And so there was a lot of humor in your writing. And I remember feeling that the humor was a defense. You know, it was a wall so that you wouldn't have to get quite this vulnerable. And so I was so pleased when you you sent it again. And it was really pulling back that curtain. And we could really see you there struggling with with, you know, what to do and how to move forward. And maybe tossing out that draft was a little bit similar to, I okay, I need to redo this surgery. Like this wasn't what I, I really wanted. So I don't know, metaphors abound, I guess. 
Yes, I think you're right. I hadn't thought of that, but I think that is uh, very appropriate. Yeah. Well, and just coming back, you know, full circle to the idea that it's safe to to make changes. It's safe in whatever context to say, you know, I was wrong. And I think that's a power, powerful thing to learn how to say. I would completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tasha. This is the point in the podcast where I always ask people if um, people can find you online. I know that you opted not to share social media links when we publish this issue. Is there a place where people can connect with you online? So um, I always welcome email. I like to connect with people uh, via email. Um, I like making personal connections. I've done that since my breast cancer diagnosis. And uh, when people connect with me personally, I try very hard to to reach out and kind of meet them where they're at. So uh, if people wanted to email me and connect with me that way, that is uh, perfectly fine. And I will absolutely respond. Uh, I can give my email if you like. Sure. And we'll also put it in the show notes, but go ahead. Yep. So it's Tasha, T-A-S-H-A dot S-R-B at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. Yep. We'll definitely include that. And I love that you're open to, to connecting. I think there's probably a lot of people who would really benefit from having you in their corner and with your patient advocacy and your lessons learned. So thanks for that. Well, thank you very much for giving me a format to share the story. Uh, I think that that is so important and hopefully it can help someone. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that it has. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, if for those of you listening, if you haven't read Tasha's story yet, like I said, it's called Learning from Regrets and you can find it in the 2023 issue of Wildfire called Body. And Tasha, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you for everything that you do as well. Thanks. All right. Well, I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young people like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. If you want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories, please visit us at wildfirecommunity.org. Over there, you will find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode. You'll find our bursting archives. We think we have 46 issues in there now. And you can take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And if you got value out of today's conversation, please share this with your friends and family. Take a screenshot of the episode, share it in your social. Please tag me. I'm at wildfire underscore BC underscore community. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, you made it to the writing prompt. The prompt today is it is safe for me to... It is safe for me too. You can do this as a list prompt and just fill in the blank, come back, write the sentence again, or maybe you need to take a deeper dive down on something it's safe for you to do. Maybe it's safe for you to slow down. Maybe it's safe for you to seek another opinion. Whatever it's safe for you to do. I want you to write for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you find that you write best with a good writing prompt, I've got oodles of them for you over at wildfirecommunity.org free. 
Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care. <laughs>